Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Totally Football League show, Rooney Riles bell ringers, capacity caps to curb COVID. We speak to the only serious candidate for the Charlton job and reveal which football league club are nicknamed the Sulphurites. In association with Paddy Power, this is the Totally Football League show. This from Talk Sport. Wayne Rooney's had his Land Rover scrawled in penises and profanities after a reported disagreement at a Christmas market in Cheshire. Uh, Rooney returned the following day to pick up his car after a night out with friends, but was relieved to find most of the abuse will be cleared away with a quick trip to the car wash. I thought we'd start with a little levity today, listener. Feels like we could all use it. Uh, Anyway, here we are again, assembled to talk about the EFL and matches that may or may not happen. Uh, It's me, Matt, alongside two of my podcasting pals from the BBC and Oxford United fandom. It's Robin Cowan. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you doing? You ready for Christmas? Just desperately trying to dodge the C word, basically. Um, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, yes. But are are any of us ready for that? (laughs) We'll have to see. No, and you're not going to be able to uh, dodge the C-word either, I'm afraid. Uh, alongside Robin, rocking his newish microphone, it's the footballer turned gaffer turned broadcaster, Joby McEnough. Hi, Joby. How you doing, Matt? You all right, mate? I am okay, uh, but unfortunately, we're going to have to start by talking about COVID. Carlisle United have followed Lincoln City in capping their stadium capacity at 9,999, which is below the threshold for the government's Plan B outdoor COVID passport requirements. Uh, neither side have had 10,000 in for a game. This season, Carlisle's biggest home gate, just over 6,000. In the last hour, as we record on Thursday morning, Gillingham have announced that they've closed the stadium and sent staff home after a number of positive tests. Thomas Franks called for all Premier League and League Cup games to be suspended. He's had 13 positive cases at the club as of Thursday morning. Uh, Robin, I don't know, you're you're doing a women's game this weekend. How how are you feeling about about covering football at the moment and sort of being in and around London in particular? Are you comfortable with it? Are you wishing you'd rather be somewhere else? 
not entirely comfortable, being totally honest. Um, I think if it was somewhere else, um, just because I know I'm going to King's Meadow and I know I don't have to be inside basically at all if I don't have to. So I, I, I'm all right with that. That's if it goes ahead. They've had a couple of cases, Chelsea women, and I'm sure we'll, there'll be more. But no, if I'm being totally honest, I'm not comfortable. I have a young child and I desperately want to see my family on Christmas Day. And so apart from that, basically not going to do anything, going to be ordering, you know, any groceries or anything. And it, I feel it, it, it's just such a tough situation at the moment. I know it's it's a football podcast. We've got to talk about the football, but it does feel a little bit down the priority list at the moment. And in terms of from a broadcaster's perspective, there's no way that the Premier League or the EFL are going to say, let's have a, a two week break now over the Christmas period, is there? Because we saw the reaction of the likes of BT and Sky when they talked about curtailing the season at the start of the pandemic. They want their their pound of flesh. They're just not going to take that. And the football clubs aren't going to be able to pay for the money that they would owe them if they broke the contract. I think that's the big thing. It's generally about money, isn't it? Um, yeah, it. Again, it's a tricky one. I mean, a two-week circuit breaker for football, is that really going to make a lot of difference? Maybe, maybe not. And I saw someone tweet that, you know, if, if you do somehow miraculously do have two teams that can put out a decent side each, then you might as well play the game because otherwise these fixtures keep piling up, piling up. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I don't know if I... Or, or if that's a good point. It's just so difficult. It's so difficult. Um it sounds like the Premier League are just desperate for games to go ahead and, and the EFL, of course, and for also for to not go back behind closed doors, but one or both of them might have to come to pass. I think, again, people are, people are reaching for clarity, aren't they, on, on what constitutes and what, uh, what criteria for a game to be called off. But it just seems like almost... You can't have that that rigidity at the moment because it's just it's it's just so fluid, isn't it? So I mean, it's difficult. It's it's so hard. I don't I don't really have the answers. I think again, just have to see what happens because it's just moving so quickly. Yeah, Johnny Jackson will uh, will tell us about how that's affecting Charlton shortly. Yeah. Joby, there's been some talk of mandatory vaccinations for players. How do you think that would go down in in dressing rooms? It seems to me that. There's a lot of talk that a lot of players are reluctant to get it, but then, you know, I'm guessing you, you, you often have painkilling injections and stuff to play. So where do you draw the line in, in what's right and wrong? And is it is it going to be one of those things, as we've spoken of before, that kind of the loudest voice in the dressing room will have a ripple effect for, for the rest of squad? So if somebody wants to do it, fine. You're likely to get a high uptake. You know, Jurgen Klopp saying everybody's got to have it and everybody follows him. But if somebody decides they don't want to and they're the captain or a big presence in the dressing room, that might make it difficult to, to implicate? Yeah, I think so. I think from my point of view, certainly knowing lads in and around dressing rooms at the moment, it's going to be down to personal choice. I, I really don't think it's something that you can impose on people. You have to give everybody... The education and, and as much awareness and the reasoning for doing it, which is is obviously quite clear and, and it's out there. But ultimately, I think there's a general consensus, certainly among footballers, that you know they're among the fittest, and there's that perception, I suppose, of wanting to try and get through it without the vaccinations. There is a big concern, I've got to be honest, amongst lads 
when you see some of the recent situations involving players now and this is not necessarily to just do with vaccinations it's COVID as well and the effects that can have you know on your body full stop so there is a little bit of a I'd say a fear factor around it if I'm being honest and we just don't know the effect it has had on athletes and elite athletes at that and especially with football because it is a, a sport where you are pushing yourself to the limit physically and it's also very much you know ups and downs it's not constantly up we call it a red zone where you're you're, you're exercising at your peak output and, and capacity it's not constant for 90 minutes it is spikes it is ups and it is downs so there is concern there I would say among footballers again I think we have to be careful that we don't put footballers in this separate category from everybody else in the world which tends to happen and almost use them as a yardstick for you know the good the bad they should they shouldn't you know footballers are humans like anybody else we have concerns you know just like Robin saying about going to games to cover it's exactly the same when we were playing and we had to play through it at times you know we have families ourselves young families older members of our families that we also don't want to put at risk as much as a lot of footballers probably think you know we're okay robust wise to, to get on with it from a personal point of view so listen it's a real tricky situation I think certainly from the club's point of views Robin's absolutely spot on in terms of that clarity what is the threshold is it 10 players is it 12 players plus staff to get a game cancelled there's no set figures and I think that's the hardest thing to do with at this point in time the fact we've been dealing with it for so long and there's still no real clarification on what constitute cancelling a game so that would be my message certainly to the governing bodies is we need to get something in place that we know for sure if there's x amount of cases the game just gets cancelled and we have to put people's health first and foremost that's the bottom line yeah, let's hope we can get as many games on as we can, but safety's got to be the priority, obviously. Right, up next, we're speaking with Charlton's should-be manager, Johnny Jackson. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Joe in Newcastle and Greg in Norwich. How are you feeling, gents? Oh, uh, yeah, good. Optimistic, Paddy. Uh, but your team's at the bottom of the table. Why are you so happy? Well, I think I speak for Norwich and Newcastle fans everywhere when I say we really fancy our chances of uh, winning the championship next year. Huh, silver linings, eh? Just like with Paddy Power's Bet Builder, where you get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Paddy Power applies to pre-match online bet builder bets with minimum four legs of at least one to five odds each. Max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Season season apply. Eighteen plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Picture this, listener. We've fired up the Zoom. We're waiting for Johnny to turn on his video and audio. And what appears to be a lovely picture of Augusta Golf Course comes up in the background. Um, sadly, we forgot to ask Johnny if he was wearing two pairs of trousers, you know, in case he got a hole in one. Uh, right, now you've got that image. Let's hear the interview. Johnny, let's deal with the elephant in the room straight away. How come you're still caretaker? Are you, are you still happy to be caretaker? Have you got any news for us on that? Uh... <laughs> Nothing particularly new. Um, obviously, it's uh, you know it's been a while now, and uh, I've been sort of in in decent positive discussions uh, with the owner about about trying to make it permanent. So they're ongoing, but obviously we've had a lot of games and stuff in between, so it's difficult. Like you're trying to concentrate on doing the job at hand, but obviously you know one eye on, on trying to sort that sort of stuff out as well. So. Uh, focus really has been on on the games and the job, and I think you know if we keep sort of keeps going well, keep getting positive results, it sh- it should just take care of itself pretty soon. 
whether it's at, at Charlton or, any, or or elsewhere, do you, do you feel you'd ha- be happy going back to be a number two now? Or now you've had a taste of it, do you, do you want the top job somewhere? Yeah, honestly, I think it'd be difficult for me. Like now, having you know done the stint for, I think I've been sort of caretaker manager for nigh on two months now, and uh, a lot of games. And obviously, it's been a sort of long-held ambition of mine to manage. So having had that taste of it, I've enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed it. It's gone really well. The response from from the you know the players and the staff and the fans has been uh, really good. So. I sort of see my future as as being a manager now. You know, really, really, obviously, hope that that opportunity is here. But you know, my aim is to be a manager for twenty, thirty years. So, yeah, I have to, I have to think about the future as well. But yeah, that's, I, I believe, that's where my future lies. We're told management's so stressful and one of the most difficult jobs you can do, and yet here are you making it look ridiculously easy. Is that new manager bounce? Is that because you've had all these ideas you've been sitting on for years, you've been waiting to implement? Is it to do with the players or is it just a bit of all those things put together? Yeah, a bit of, bit of everything. It is stressful, believe me, whether whether it looks it or not, it is stressful. But that's what I've wanted to do. So to, to sit here and complain about the stresses that come with it would be silly. It's, it's it's all of those things that you mentioned, really. When it went, when I first took over, you know, two days going going to Sunderland, Sunderland away, you know, I've got a good idea of what I think the response is going to be from the players and, and stuff. But you still you're not you're not certain until they you know they cross over that line. And I knew within five ten minutes of that game that that they was on board with what I was trying to do and that they, that they was playing for me. And that's been the case in every game since. So. That's half the battle, sort of convincing the players that you know what you're doing, probably. You know, that was probably ready to hear a new voice, I think. Obviously, it wasn't going great uh, previously and uh, we was in a bit of a rut. So, I think I think that helped as well. Uh, but obviously, the length that it's gone on now, I think the new ban- manager bounce theory that I kept hearing about, I think I like to think that, you know, that's out the window now because we had, you know, we I've lost, I've had, a week where I've only picked up a point and then come again and and gone back to back wins. So, you know, it's all I get hearing is like, oh, well, the, the next game's the real big test, or when he loses, is the next big test, and then uh, and uh, we're you know we're still going all right. So, yeah, I, I can't I can't speak highly enough of the players and and how they responded to me and how they bought into it. They've been outstanding. In terms of the formation that you play and the, the style you play, presumably you kind of had an idea about that before you took over as caretaker. And, and that must be one of the benefits of, of already working in the club. You know what's going to work for the group of players that you've got. Yeah, I, I, I had an idea of, of certain things. And obviously, you know, I was I was working under the previous manager. So to completely sort of distance yourself from that wouldn't be fair either. But uh, so you put forward ideas and, you know, some are taken, some aren't, but ultimately you aren't the decision maker, if you like. And I had an idea of of how I would like to go about things. And, and some of that was the opposition coming up. So I had to pick a team and, and a way of playing for a for Sunderland game in about 24 hours. So um, it wasn't like I'd been sitting there on some grand master's plan for months thinking about... Um, you know how he was going to go to the stadium and light and win. It was it was had to be pretty sort of pretty quick and decisive decision making. But that was how I saw fit, and 
I, I think I've said this quite a bit. I think the, the the two forwards is something that I like in this in this league. The two strikers. So it was sort of like uh, you know I'm going to go and play two strikers, and how do you implement that? Obviously, that leaves you with you know a handful of, of ways of playing. And yeah, obviously, I you know I've decided on the on the three five two for now. But obviously, I know as well that you need to be flexible at times. Plymouth on Saturday, of course, they've just promoted their number two as well, Stephen Schumacher. What, what what would be the top tip that you give for somebody making that step up? Is it something as simple as, right, lads, you've got to call me Gaffer, not Johnny now, or, you know, instilling a bit more discipline, or or is there something else that, that you've learned as kind of the biggest leap from, from number two to number one? I just think you have to make sure that, obviously, what I try to do is make sure, think about if, if a new manager was coming into the, to the building, everything would look and sound completely different to what had gone before. Um, obviously, Shuey's going to be in a very similar situation where he's been there with, with Lowy and the lads know him, but I'm sure he wants it to look and sound slightly different to what's gone before. Otherwise, you know, he, and, and I, know, I know he's his own man and he'll have his own ideas and it would be important that, that he gets that across to his players. So, for me, I mean, not that I he needs any advice from me, but that that would have been that was my main aim anyway. We're we're taking over day one that you know that you you make sure that it it looks and sounds different to what had gone on before. Uh, we've got to ask you about COVID. Unfortunately, I know it's a it's a fluid situation for everybody at the moment. Do you feel like you're getting enough support from the EFL in in how to deal with things, and and are they even able to do that? You know, we're not having much support in our day to day lives. It's such a tricky one, isn't it? It's really difficult. I don't want to be too critical. I just think there seems to be, and I think this is in the Premier League as well, there seems to be a little bit of, uh, well, this is probably with the government as well, like the, you know, the guidelines aren't completely clear. So, you know, how many players have to be missing before a game gets called off or staff or whatever it is. It doesn't seem like that. that's set in stone and it's case by case. And obviously that leaves grey areas. And I think when there's grey areas... Uh, it's open to interpretation. It's open to rule bending, perhaps, you know. So, like, I I just think if there was, you know, a clearer, clearer guidance, it might help, but it's a a tricky situation. It really is difficult. It's unprecedented, isn't it? And I think to be too critical of it uh, would be harsh, but, yeah, it's it's presenting challenges for us all for the minute. I guess one of those challenges for you is that do you kind of encourage your players to get vaccinated not only for you know wider protection of society, but for the benefit of Charlton Athletic Football Club, so you can carry on playing games. That's that's a difficult line for you to tread, isn't it? Yeah, we do. We encourage it. We just try to sort of arm our players with all the knowledge and hope that they go down that road. But at the same time, you know, you can't coerce people into it, and they're they're young young men with with their own sort of you know they've got their own minds and. Uh, it's, it's their bodies, they're fit young men. So, you know, I, I do get the argument that, you know, they're very, very careful with what they put into their body and stuff like that. And, and that's their choice as well. But we we try and encourage it. We try and inform them that, that, that it will help them and it'll help others and it'll, ultimately it'll, it'll help football, I think. But at the same time, you know, you can't, you can't force people to do things against their will. So we, we just try and stay sort of quite balanced in it without without being too forceful. 
I feel a bit bad for asking you such serious questions this early on a Thursday morning, but we're going to finish with a couple of toughies that come courtesy of uh, our friend and yours, Sam Parkin. Sam wants to know, how long is it taking you to decide on your match day attire and what tipple are you offering the oppo gaffer at the end of a home game? Uh, He knows full well. It took me me a few dress rehearsals and a few... uh, (laughs) few bad decisions before I got it right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, everyone asks you that straight away, don't they? You're going to be a tracksuit gaffer. Are you going to be a suit? What, what's, your, what's your look? And, and again, I think um, it's important that, you know, that you do do something different to what you've done before and that, that you do sort of make people aware that, that now you, you know, you, you're the manager and you are in a different role. So there is something to that. He, he is right. And uh, I like, I think I've nailed it so far. Uh, he might tell you different. I don't know, but um, <laughs> and as far as the tipple, yeah, we 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 try to have a decent, varied, stocked fridge, but we like we like to have a nice, nice bottle of red in there. Yeah, we we have a bottle of red and a decent selection of lagers, and uh, obviously a couple of soft drinks if if the uh, opposition manager doesn't want to partake. Yeah, it's horses for courses, isn't it? You need a bit of pink champagne for when Steve Evans comes to town. But you know, if it's Lee Johnson, he might prefer a Malbec. You've got to be, you've got to be malleable. You've got to have that choice there. Yeah, horses for courses. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Johnny, thanks so much for your time this morning. Good luck for the game. Good luck for the rest of the season. We hope that next time we speak to you, you're a permanent manager. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, Joby, if you're a Charlton player and you've publicly stated as some had that they want Johnny Jackson to be their manager, it's going to be a bit awkward if if somebody else comes in, isn't it? Are the board taking a risk in letting it go on and on for so long that, you know, if if another figure comes in when uh, Johnny's done so well with them, it it might be a bit of a sense of deflation for some of the players, mightn't it? Yeah, listen, results tell their own story when it comes to the job that he's done and and football management in general. Those players are 100% on board you know they have come out players have spoken about it why the decision hasn't been made yet I cannot get my head around I've got to be honest it's absolutely bonkers I think he's been quite clear now in terms of stepping up and saying look I want to be a manager I think he's being quite clever in that respect where he's saying listen I want to manage and I want to manage Charlton but if it's not going to be here and there will be other clubs taking notice now of, of how well he's doing so for me, it's a, they're actually getting themselves in a, in a situation they really don't need to because players do start asking questions. You know, it does put his situation in the spotlight when it shouldn't be. He just wants to concentrate on doing the job, which he's done absolutely brilliantly so far. And then you start thinking, right, where do you want to go as a football club if they want to keep this momentum? You've got the January transfer window round the corner. He's got to make some decisions in terms of adding to the squad. But yeah, from the player's point of view, I'm sure they're all hoping that things get resolved sooner rather than later. I personally can't see anybody else coming in now. It's going to be a matter of of when, not if, but they need to do it sooner rather than later for everybody's sake. You understand the, the initial reservations, Robin, from, from Thomas Sankard, but if it was one or two games that he'd done all right in, that's one thing, but, but we're talking 10 games that he's done well in. And as Johnny said, you know, he, he suffered the defeat but then went and won the next game and done that on a couple of times. So like, what, what, what other test is there that they're waiting for him to pack? You're asking the wrong person. I've no idea. I, d- <laughs> I don't really don't know what they're waiting for. Honestly, I actually don't. Are they waiting for... I, I mean, I don't really... can't really think of a better suited candidate at the moment. And 
I don't know, it always feels like he's kind of almost trolling the fans. <laughs> it's like, how long can we go without appointing him? It's just, it's becoming a bit of a joke, isn't it? And not only that, he's not just someone who's walked in and done pretty well. He's He's been there. He's He's been at the club for ages in, in many capacities. He's done it. He's also managed, uh, he, he's been the sort of caretaker before. So I really, I'm at a loss. Yeah, I think, listen, it's a great point again, Robin, just in terms of, I think when you're in that position yourself, you then actually start asking yourself questions. Is this something against me personally? Is there a reason why he's not making this decision? You know, I'm doing everything I can to go and do the job you've asked me to do. I've done it to the best of my ability and beyond. You look at where they were compared to where they are, the results, you know, the whole turnaround of the club really this season has been absolutely incredible and he's had a massive part to play in that. So I think you start could get to a point where it then becomes a bit of a personal battle. And is the chairman actually saying, I'm the one in control. I will make the decision when I'm ready. And can that start having an effect on the relationship moving forward? So I think, again, for me, it's all just unnecessary. You know, I'm 100% with you. I just can't understand why this decision's taken so long, you know. Well, this is football podcasting. It's nearly half past 11 on Thursday morning, so you can bet your bottom dollar that mid-afternoon when Abbey Press is published, they will announce that Johnny Jackson is the permanent manager. Okay, next we're going to preview some of the weekend's games. Some of them might even take place. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. To the Championship, where QPR against Swansea scheduled for Saturday has been postponed due to Rangers' COVID outbreak. Ditto for Reading versus Luton and Millwall versus Preston. Some games are on, though. Uh, obviously, West Brom are in action on Friday night. They play Barnsley. On Saturday, there are two 12.30 kickoffs, one of which is in South Wales and has caught our collective eye as Cardiff welcome Derby. Uh, Cardiff, Joby, three points above the relegation zone. Only one win in their last four. They do have some goals in them, though. So you kind of feel like that might be the way out of them, out of the issue for them. They've scored twice in each of their last three and five of their last six, which is which is more than you would expect for a team in their position. Yeah, when I've watched Cardiff, I've seen them a few times since Steve Morrison's going. I think they're very much a team in transition, you know, going from what was a certain type of football certainly under the previous managers uh, Mick McCarthy and, and Neil Harris and I think they've got and have built a squad designed to play that type of football I think the issue that Steve Morrison has now is right I don't want to be seen as this manager who just plays longer type football I think he's trying to impose his ideas on the team I just feel that they're a little bit stuck in between and when you look at some of the games where particularly they've gone behind and they've had to come back you know it's almost like when the shackles are off and they're right right we're going to go and play now and we have to take the ball we have to take a little bit more responsibility and those results and goals have come you know playing that way and you look at the back certain players like Nelson, Flint, Morrison, McGuinness they're not ball playing centre-halves by any stretch and if you want to play good football and, and play possession football which 
Steve Morrison says he wants to. That's a key aspect of it. I have been heartened by the young players that are coming through. They've got some real good young talent. Uh, Ruben Colwell's outstanding so far. Um, Harris, Davies, there's some real good young talent, but they can't be relying on that to get them results. And I think certainly the January window will be really important. Be interested to see if he gets back in. There's rumours of financial issues at, at Cardiff and certainly not putting in what he has done under previous managers and maybe just getting one or two types that can come in and really help develop that style of football, I think will help Cardiff. But listen, they're, they're at the wrong end of the table and it's a, a tough place to be when you're down there and you're not expected to be down there. Also, isn't it going to be hard for them to attract players in January? Because if you're Steve Morrison trying to woo somebody, is that player not going to say, well, who am I signing for? Is it you or is it somebody else coming in at the end of the season? Yeah, again, always a bit of an issue. I had it at, at Orient towards the end of my time there where I wasn't given uh, a decision and I'm talking to players who were out of contract. I was actually talking to players who were in the recruitment process, you know, in terms of, would you want to come here? Well, are you going to be the manager? Well, I don't know. So it's like, it is difficult at times. Um, I think maybe for, for Cardiff, certainly it might be a short-term option in January, maybe a couple of loans to come in and really just help the team because they have to stay up first and foremost, you know. And then they can decide again if that's going to be the course they take and, and give Steve Morrison a longer contract. I think at the moment his remit is just going to be keeping the club in the championship. But I think they're going to need a little bit of help to do that. Derby-wise, Robin, when Wayne Rooney's not irritating bell ringers, he's getting linked with the Everton job. Um, a sensational return, as some tabloids uh, would report it as. Curtis Davis was telling us on Monday that the training ground's been shut this week because of their COVID cases. None of this is ideal preparation for this match, but they need to get another win, don't they? They haven't earned back-to-back wins all season. If there's any chance, even the slimmest chance of them getting out of it, they can't just pick up the odd three points here and there. They've, they've just got to go for it hell for leather from this point. That's right, although I think... Um... The situation they're in, they almost don't have, they, they can't really look at the table and see what the sort of points difference is, how far they need to go to, to get out of it. They just need to concentrate on what they're doing. And I know, obviously, they haven't won back-to-back um, this season, as you say, but they've been ticking along actually pretty nicely. We'll see if the, the incident will have affected Rooney's plans, you know, the bell ringers, you know, they can be, I'm sure they can psychologically get in your head a little bit, but he seems like a pretty, you know, <laughs> strong character. Um yeah, I I just think that they're just so impressive defensively, and I think that that's basically what he's done to get them really solid, the solid foundation. It's more the sort of up the other end. I think they've conceded; they've only lost by more than one goal once this season. Uh, that was against Birmingham, a two 0 defeat. So I think they'll be difficult to break down for Derby. Also, had a look at the set piece situations again. I'm not sure how many of these came under. Mick McCarthy, because Cardiff have scored the most set pieces this season with 11. And then under Steve Morris, I'm not sure, kind of the, the breakdown of that. But Derby have conceded just three from set pieces and that's um, basically the third best in the league. So I think their best bet, really, I know, yes, they need to go half leather if they're kind of concentrating on, you know, getting the points to get them out of this situation. But it's still going to be such a tough ask. But I really do think they're going to cause problems defensively for a lot of opposition this season they're going to be tough to to break down um and that's an important thing but obviously that attacking potency is is lacking a little bit 
And meanwhile, down on the banks of the River Trent, two of the Championship's form sides face off as Nottingham Forest take on Hull City. Forest four points off the playoffs, thanks to the wonder that is Steve Cooper. Hull unbeaten in six, a run which has lifted them four points from danger. Forest have only lost one of 15, 14 of those games since Cooper came in. What I think though, Robin, is that they need to, we're going to be talking about this a lot because it's nearly January, but they need to back him in January now because a couple of years ago, they were in a similar position under Sabri Lamushi. They bought Adama Diakabe and Nuno de Costa, the striker who left with one goal to his name, which was an own goal. Um, if they're serious about actually making a playoff push, they need to sign some players and maybe even try and keep Jed Spence. Well, that's going to be tricky, I think, isn't it? Um, especially with new manager at Middlesbrough. I mean, recruitment hasn't been Nottingham Forest's strong point for quite a few years now, so it'll be interesting to see. A little bit scattergun um, might be a, a little bit of an understatement. But um, yeah, uh, um, you know, Lewis Graben's had a new lease of life under Steve Cooper, which is great to see. But, you know, he, he's he's not a spring chicken uh, and I think he'll probably need a little bit of backup. Seeing quite a few strikers linked. Keenan Davis would be an interesting one because uh, he's not exactly been prolific for Villa. He's had quite a few injuries but he'd be an interesting one um you're shaking your head you're not sure <laughs> um also just wanted to pick he never up scores you know he's a you're... striker who doesn't score goals well he's not i'm not sure actually how many appearances he's had though so have we has he had enough of a yeah anyway <laughs> that's that's just me uh yeah defending him a little bit but um you know when you open up your phone you see a twitter notification you think oh hello here we go and then it's it's from like a long time ago someone started to kind of bring up a conversation. So Steve Cooper was appointed and I was on this podcast and basically said, I'm not sure about it. <laughs> so now they're coming out of the woodwork again and mentioning me in their tweets. So yeah, that's always a delight. Um, but I just want to say it wasn't because it was anything against Steve Cooper. It was just because Forrest, isn't it? That that was that was mainly um, my, my, my point. So many managers are not, not having an impact. But I think Clearly, he's rejuvenated the club, and you're absolutely right. He needs backing in January. Is he going to get it? I, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of the club, but I mean, how big is the squad at the moment? They need to get rid of a few first. Yeah, they've done a fairly good job in in getting rid of, of some of the deadwood, but they definitely need a backup striker for for grabbing. Maybe a left back as well because they got Max Low on loan, who's been injured, and and yeah, if Jed Spence mm. goes, they'll definitely need to do something uh, about that. In terms of of Hull. Joby, we thought there'd be a, a period of stasis while the, while the takeover was rumbling on, but they've been great of late. And that, that's massive credit to Grant McCann, isn't it? Because he's got to be looking over his shoulder thinking, am I going to be here when the new guys come in? Yeah, I'm sure that is in his mind. But honestly, it's, you know, you hear Johnny Jackson talk about it earlier on. You know, once you're in the hot seat, once you're doing that job, it is all focus on, you know, preparing the team right making every decision possible that's going to try and help get your result on a Saturday or a Tuesday in the short term. He can't be too concerned, unfortunately, with what is potentially around the corner. I mean, the turnaround has been incredible, really, when you look at where they were before they won that first game. And again, you know, we've spoken about it before, but tactically, you know, he had to make a little change. And it's it's really interesting. I spoke to a lot of coaches, a lot of managers. You might have a certain way of, of doing things. And sometimes... A, a situation arises where you have to change things and by going to three at the back because the injuries to the, the two fullbacks and I think it's really 
given them a nice balance that they probably didn't have before. I think Keen Lewis Potter and, and Ryan Longman, who have been the wing backs, who are naturally attacking offensive players, you know, have been absolutely fantastic in terms of their contributions. George Honeyman, who we know for them is, is such an important player, you know, in this run of six games, he's scored four goals. You know, that late run from midfield that he does ever so well. You know, Malik Wilkes has started getting a couple of goals. So there just seems a real nice balance about them at the moment. And it seems to have come about accidentally, uh, but he's managed to to keep that team out there. The consistency they found could even have been better conceded a last minute goal against Bristol City. So yeah, listen, I think when you look at the turnaround, it's nothing short of remarkable. They've had good results against the teams around them, which is going to be massive for them if they are going to stay up this year. And I just think there's something there at the moment where, you know, they probably are where they didn't think they were going to be. Certainly, you know, a couple of months ago and there's a newfound belief amongst the squad. And it does take a little while sometimes to find your feet. They've obviously come up from a, a league below. And that belief amongst the players even that haven't necessarily played at that level to say, no, actually, I am comfortable here. We can perform well. I think that's a big factor as well. So listen, they've given themselves a great opportunity and, and big credit to, to Grant McGann for sure. Got a great record at the City Ground as well. They've won on six of their last seven visits uh, to Trent's side. All uh, right, producer Abby, put down that mince pie. Give us some odds on those games courtesy of Paddy Power, please. I actually don't like mince pies. I don't... What? You don't, not, you don't know all the words to the 12 days of Christmas and you don't like mince pies. This is found a new Grinch, know, Matt, we, I think. I know. I, th- I mean, how long have we known each other, Abby? Maybe five years? I feel like well, I don't know you I at all. Do, I do love Christmas. <laughs> okay. I had a Christmas briquette for dinner last night and I just think that mince pies are incorrectly named. You prefer a beef, like a beef <laughs> sweet pie. <laughs> They're not mince. There's not mince in them. They are incorrectly named. Fair enough. Should we do some odds? All right, let's go to Nottingham Forest's game. They are the favourites here, despite Matt's stat that Hull usually beat them uh, when uh, Hull are the away team. Uh, Forest are 10 to 11 with Hull 14 to 5 and the draw coming in at 23 to 10. Um, if we travel up, though, to Cardiff and uh, they are evens to beat Derby in this one. Derby are 13 to 5 and the draw is 11 to 5 on that one. So home favourites at the in the championship this weekend. Yes, we got a 13 in there in that lovely Scottish brogue. Lovely stuff. Uh, right, we'll go to League One next. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. Okay, Robin's on and her contract, which has many clauses, stipulates that we simply must talk Oxford when in her company. Luckily, their game with Wigan can legitimately lay claim to the status of mouth-watering. Where you at with Oxford at the moment, Robin? Three points behind Wigan, so the, the reward for victory for them here, plain to see. Indeed, yes. Just wanted to say thank you for fulfilling my rider as well, the chocolate and puppies, etc. all that <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good. Um went through a, a, a really testing period where the COVID kind of wreaked havoc and managed to get through that pretty well unbeaten in nine in League One. I think still the question mark for Oxford is beating the top, top teams. That was a something that didn't happen basically last season. Got into the playoffs basically by beating all the teams below us, um, which isn't, you know, terrible, but it's these games where you really stake your claim, I think, to be promotion contenders. And I think the person who's made a huge difference is Herbie Kane. And I'd, I can't remember if it was Adrian or Sam who was really uh, making the, sort of looking at him a lot. But 
gosh, he's way too good for League One. What what a player. And my favourite thing about him is he does not look like a footballer <laughs> at all. He's got, you know, his hairline and, you know, just, just doesn't look... If you saw him out and about, you'd think, oh, yeah, you, you wouldn't think, OK, that, that guy's a footballer. I think that it's fantastic. But gosh, he's a, he's incredible. The um, vision, execution of passing, he's made such a difference. So with him being on loan from Barnsley, there's a little bit of trepidation about whether he might be recalled in January just because they've got a new manager. So we'll, we'll see a, a bit about that. I think the only thing, if it being a slightly negative on this run, managed to dig out some results after missing a hat full of chances, especially against Doncaster midweek last week and then also against MK Dons last weekend, missed a lot of chances and also were basically gifted the winner because they were trying to do... MK Don's things and playing out from the back and it didn't quite come off for them so a little bit of wastefulness but good momentum and really good home record one defeat at home this season so it'll be really interesting to see how we do against Wigan side who are going going pretty well going very well and probably worth pointing out again that Charlie White thinks Liam Richardson saved his life when his gaffer administered CPR to him after White's cardiac arrest uh, he's pretty Good at the old day job too, uh, Richardson. His team two points off the top of the table. This away record, Joby. They've won seven from nine. I was I was digging around for some kind of logical explanation as to why they might play better away. Turns out they've only played two teams currently in the top eight. Uh, they lost at Sunderland and, and they won at Plymouth. Is it, is it that simple that actually they've, they've had a decent run of away games or am I selling them a bit short there? I think you're selling them a bit short, Matt. I've got to be honest. They've still got to go and win the games, which they have done, as you say, best away record, um, only one defeat, which is fantastic for them. And I think it does tell you a lot about Wigan, if I'm being honest. I think you have to look at the recruitment and we've seen other clubs that have had, when I say big budgets, they didn't spend an awful lot of money in terms of transfer fees, a lot of free transfers, which was fantastic. Yes, they're probably paying a lot in terms of wages-wise. Um, but they went out and recruited really, really well. And I think a lot is spoken about those forwards. Of course, Callum Blank's been fantastic. Will Keane, you know, going back to Robin's point, I think for me is a cut above most players at, at this level. Obviously, Charlie White now absent, but a real good, good player at this level. But you look at the spine of that team that was brought in, Ben Amos, uh, Jack Watmore, Tom Naylor. Um, you know, for me, it's been a real key factor in what we're going to have done this season. Brilliant defensive record, second in the league. And I think they just have a real good, good balance of throughout the whole team. You know, I think they've gone out and recruited, you know, exceptionally well. They haven't just gone scattergun. They've identified players who's going to complement who. And I think in terms of jobs, in the scale of it, when you look at how many players he had to bring in, you know, given all the turmoil they did have off the pitch, you know, he's got to be up there for certainly manager of the season so far um, for the job that he's done. And the players have to take an awful lot of credit for that as well. But in terms of getting them organised, hard to beat, um, you know, and really solid with that attacking prowess, I think is the real reason for that away form, not just because they haven't played as many good teams, Matt. Just on Wigan, you're right to point out the Charlie White situation. I mean, that's quite a trauma. I'm sure they all suffered. And... They basically just carried on. And obviously, I mean, I know I did their game in the FA Cup at Colchester and they, when Callum Lang scored, he held up a Charlie White shirt. So it's still very clearly in their thoughts. And it just seems like a really nice club, a nice atmosphere. And I think that can that can go a long way. And I just think, 
I mean, it's kind of got shades of what happened with Christian Eriksen because you just thought, well, you know, what they what they went through there. I mean, Lord knows how they're going to carry on, and it might just galvanise them a little bit. Thankfully, that you know, obviously, he's okay. Yeah, you'd think that that's a pretty big inspiration for them for the rest of the season. Um, in terms of the head-to-head record, Oxford won both games 2-1 last season. Wigan won 7-0 at Oxford back in 2017. That was Pete Will Grigg on Flames time. He got a hat-trick in that one. Uh, not sure why, but Wimbledon versus Portsmouth filled me with some seasonal cheer. So let's talk about that game. Uh, the Dons start the weekend 17th with a comfy six-point buffer between day and danger. Pompey have the distinctive whiff of the playoffs in their nostrils after their fine recent run. Uh, JB Wimbledon, four unbeaten in the league, but but as we mentioned on Monday, that draw at Wickham will have stuck in the craw given that they conceded so late. Also, I think one thing they need to, to be mindful of if they're to avoid getting sucked in is to win some more home games, just two in the league all season. It's a, it's a new stadium for them. Is that is that a legit excuse or is it just that they were playing difficult teams? <laughs> Um, No, I think the new stadium, I think particularly certainly opposing players enjoy going to to new stadiums, great facilities, obviously good pitch, um, you know, and I think that is sometimes a factor, certainly for home players getting used to a new environment as well. And that clearly has been an issue for them. But again, I think overall, when you look at the job there, they've got one of the youngest, if not the youngest squad um, in the league. I think there's been a bit of a, again, a turnaround in in culture at the club. They don't want to be these perennial hangers-on and, and survivors that we have seen with them, you know, in years gone by. I think they'll be okay. Um, they had a little run where they lost three games in the league on the bounce that they sort of threatened to get pulled into that relegation zone. Um, but I think overall, when you look at... The job they've done, they've got some real good, as I say, young players, McCormick, Asal, particularly in those forward areas. Uh, Radoni have, have done really, really well so far. And Oli Palmer, who I know well from my time at Leighton Orient, as the older one, sort of knitting that all together in those forward areas. So they're, they're a good team to watch, I've got to say. I think overall, um, you know, they they will be okay. And it is a bit of a, a season of, of trying to, yeah, just formulate a slightly new culture at the football club and, and probably go away from some of the old uh, ethos that was there and, and really try and move the club forward, which I think overall, you know, Mark Robinson's doing a, a good job of. Pompey-wise, Robin, seems like a, an awful long time since they were whooped 4-0 at home by Ipswich. How things have gone in different directions for those two clubs since the 16th of October. Uh, now unbeaten in nine league games, winning six of them, an incredible defensive record, the most league clean sheets in all of England. Yeah, and I think that's even more impressive because recently they had to revert to a back three, I think, because of the injuries they've had. And that really hasn't upset their defensive rhythm at all. And you'd expect, you know, after going through such a great run of clean sheets um, in all competitions, that it would. So, I mean, it's interesting you made that parallel with Ipswich because I really do think it was looking a little bit hairy for Danny Cowley at points, wasn't it? Um, You know, that... Was it was it the Ipswich game where the fans were singing "We've got the ball, we've lost the ball"? I mean that. <laughs> ouch! I mean, hearing that as a player, Jovi must have been. He must be thinking, "Oh, I mean, is this? I mean, that is so so. I mean, annoying for one. I mean, <laughs> you just must be thinking, "Oh God, what what do I have to do to get out of here?" Yeah, absolutely. It's not something you want to be hearing on the pitch. Um, and I think you're right. It's a, again another 
club with massive expectation, massive ambition. Um, and it's not an all, always an easy place to play and the fans are difficult at times. So it's all part of the process when you are playing for, for Portsmouth. But again, for me, you look at Danny Cowley and, and being given time. It's not something that's afforded to managers often enough to turn it around and actually just backing people sometimes and saying, right, I'm actually going to give you the opportunity to turn it around. And, and thankfully for them, um, they seem to have, have done that and certainly heading in a, a better direction than they were before. It's going to be the third time these two have met this season. Pompey needed a last-minute winner from Marcus Harness to secure the points at Fratton Park last month, and they shared eight goals in the Pizza Trophy. Wimbledon won that one 5-3 at Plough Lane. Ellis Harrison got a hat-trick for Pompey, so there might be goals this weekend. Uh, in terms of League Two, Sutton United and Harrogate Town meet for just the fifth time, the first time ever in the Football League. Only three points between them in the League Two standings ahead of this game. Uh, Joby, I remember at the start of the season, we were a bit panicked about Sutton failing to win any of their first four league games and thinking it was going to be a long season for them. Uh, yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving manager of the year awards out pretty easily here. But um, no, <laughs> Matt Gray certainly has to be another contender, certainly for League Two. I think you look at Sutton, again, I've played against them while I was at Orient in, in the conference. And, you know, to see where they've come from, to see their journey, um, is, is amazing and it's actually funny again playing against Harrogate really similar in terms of two you know they weren't big clubs that came down and found themselves in non-league they are very much non-league teams you know even when you look at the artificial pitch, pitches that had to be dug up and you know so there's been lots of things there that they've had to overcome and I think one thing with Sutton is they've just taken it all in their stride you know they've just looked at it as a challenge I think you look at league to uh national league teams that come up into league two generally are okay in that first season um but they've gone way above that i certainly you know would never have guessed that they'd be sitting in sixth place at the moment this time of the season it's the way they're doing it i think when you dig into their stats they're quite fascinating they've got the lowest possession i think if you look at, at most of their stats it is you know they're not completing a lot of passes compared to a lot of the other teams but they've actually had the third most shots per game at 13.4 which when you think about it you know this obsession with possession and playing through the lines and you know we have to do it this way they're showing that you can still be effective it's about understanding how to be um and I think in in David Ajiboy they've got a real star he's somebody who we actually looked at a fair bit while I was at, at Leighton Orient he was obviously doing well at the time and I think he I suppose sums up something a little bit where there was something there but you just weren't sure whether he'd be able to make that step and, and go on and actually compete week in, week out. And certainly he's done that. And so are Sutton. And, you know, it's a, a fantastic story and, you know, one that I hope for their sake carries on and they could be the surprise package maybe that that keeps themselves in them playoffs and, and no one a fancy playing them, you know, towards the end of the season. So I, I certainly hope from a neutral's point of view, they can they can keep going. They've been brilliant. All good at Sutton at the moment. Harrogate, I find interesting just now, Robin. Obviously, you know, a family club. The the chairman is the father of the, the manager. It's generally deemed quite a friendly place. We've had Simon Weaver on a couple of times. He's a, a really nice guy. He said after last week, though, I can't keep defending it. This is on his team's defensive record, which is the worst in the top half. I can't keep defending it just because people have sensitive dispositions or I'm trying to keep the feel-good factor in the changing room. I lose respect from other players... If 
if I don't seem like I'm on it and realise where the weaknesses lie. Uh, they've only won two of their last ten. There were boos at half-time during the game last week. Uh, I've only just found out their nickname is the Sulphurites. There's a lot for you to go out there, basically. J just pick the thing that interests you the most. The Sulphurites? Mm, that, that's the yeah, thing that Apparently what, it's because... What's that come from? Harrogate is a spa town that produces sulphur water. Um, thanks to my good friends at Wikipedia for that. But yeah, sulphurites. I'm shocked I've never heard that on a roundup on Quest, uh, you know, when they have to try and find a different word to say Harrogate. That's incredible. Maybe maybe this weekend. Yeah, no, they are an interesting club. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed Simon Weaver describing their... Uh, he's, he said after they lost to Northampton last time, they were daft at the back, <laughs> which, which is great. Again, not, I don't know, he's still kind of keeping up that nice guy image by calling them daft instead of something else. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, they'll be okay. Um, it, maybe it's a little bit of, I hate this second season syndrome, you know, because they, again, it's almost like, like Joby was saying about Sutton sort of riding a crest of a wave. They had a fantastic first season. Maybe, maybe things are, you know, just uh, tapering off a little bit. But yeah, I mean, they need to tighten up at the back. And that's interesting that the stat Joby came up with that Sutton are really like a shot. So that's going to be a really interesting game um, that could have to be a little bit tighter defensively, it sounds like, and maybe, you know, try and not concede as many shots as they have been. Yes, it's mad because you, you think of where both clubs have come from and you're talking about, probably that expectation that gets raised, mm. you know, they're 10th in the table, Harrogate, you know, you're talking three points outside the playoffs, you know, regardless of whether they come up last year or they've been in for three, four years for a club of their size and stature with the greatest respect, you know, they're having an okay season. And it's amazing how, again, those levels get raised by the fans and, and almost a, an expectancy, oh, we should be in the playoffs now, you know, and it's, Again, why it makes management so hard because you really want to come out and say, all right, yeah, we haven't been at our best, but we're still okay. But it's almost like that's not acceptable anymore. And I think certainly in Simon Weaver, he's been there a long time. You know, I've got a, a huge amount of respect for the job that he's done there. And he's a very level-headed guy. Um, again, maybe he needs to, to shift that Mr. Nice Guy thing because when you're in that dressing room and they are repeatedly making the same mistakes, he's absolutely right. Players do start looking at you going... Well, hang on a minute, how can he still be playing if we've conceded again in the same manner? And that is where you have to sometimes uh, make those tough decisions. Maybe players that have done well for you in the past um, that aren't quite doing the job at the moment and, and give somebody else an opportunity to try and address that. But I think overall, you know, you look at where they are after having not a great run of form. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. So any Harrogate fans out there, I'd say just stick with the team and, you know, just keep just reminding yourselves a little bit of, you know, how hard it was to get up and, and the fact you have come from, you know, outside of the league and you're actually doing a really, really good job at the moment. So, you know, another team really fighting against some of the real big guns in, in that league and doing a really good job of it. Going to bring producer Abby in at this point. Um, Abby, you've just told me by the wonder of a Google doc that Harrogate's mascot, mascot is a crocodile called Harry Gator. Is it not an alligator? Called Harry Gator. 
Well, they're like the same animal, aren't they? You know, it's like second mentions. You don't want to say alligator twice, so I was giving you crocodile so that you wouldn't be saying the same thing again and again. Are they the same animal? Why have they got different names? Surely what one prefers the water, one doesn't mind being in the, the dry, dusty plains every so often. I don't want to get bogged down in crocodile versus alligator. Someone's going to jump on you, Abby. <laughs> you know what the, the internet's like. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Basically, one of them you say, like, see you <laughs> in a while too, and the other one you say, see you later. That's the difference, but they're basically the same animal, let's be honest. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, should we get some odds on the games we've been talking about and dig ourselves out of this increasingly deep hole? <laughs> yes, I think that would be a really good idea, please. Thank you kindly. Uh, we will begin in League Two at Sutton United, where it is Sutton who are the favourites here. Uh, sorry to be the putting on more bad news for you, Harrogate Town fans, um, but you're 23 to 10, which is the same as the draw in this game. Uh, Sutton 11 to 10 uh, to win that one. So, again, another home favourite. Uh, as for League One, if we head to uh, Plough Lane, Wimbledon and Portsmouth, it's tight between these two. Portsmouth, though, they're the slight favourites. They're 29 to 20. Uh, Wimbledon are 7 to 4 and the draw comes in at 23 to 10. And if we go to the Kassam Stadium, um, it is another home favourite. It's Oxford this time, 13 to 10. Wigan are 19 to 10 and the draw is 9 to 4. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops stop all right before we go we spoke to johnny jackson earlier clearly he should be the charlton manager i wonder what are the glaringly obvious football decisions either haven't been taken yet never were or took too long i'm thinking about chris Hutton sticking around at forest for as long as he did that kind of thing robin what have you got for me ouch um well, when Mauricio Pochettino eventually does become Manchester United manager, that'll probably be about four years too late. Um, that's a more EFL flavour for you. Do you want to have a guess the last time an Oxford United manager won a Manager of the Month award? Oh, probably when you had Wang on the front of your shirts. I'm going to say 1986. <laughs> Not quite as far back as that. Oh, that was a glorious <laughs> sponsor though, wasn't it? January 2005, Ramon Diaz was the last time an Oxford United manager won a manager of the month. Now, bearing in mind, since then, we've had Chris Wilder, Michael Appleton, and currently Carl Robinson being promoted twice during that time, in the playoffs twice. Now, I sort of I sort of understand Carl Robinson because he, he annoys a lot of higher-ups, doesn't he, basically on a weekly basis. But still, I, I think that's, that's a rather long time uh, for, a, for a club not to be awarded a manager of the month award when it's been fairly successful over the last sort of decade or so. Uh, he was nominated for the award, but obviously didn't win it and never will uh, because he's the manager of Oxford. Uh, Joby, what have you got for me on this? Um, well, uh, the, the, I don't want to sound too self-obsessed, but me not getting the Orient job has to be down there. I've got to be honest, <laughs> I had a really good start. Only lost two of the first 12, a la Johnny Jackson-esque, really. Um, never quite got it over the line, so... That one sticks with me. But now I'm going to go slightly different. We talk about, again, managers doing really well in caretaker charge and then either getting given a job or taking too long. Eddie Howe, actually, at Bournemouth, lost his first two games as caretaker manager. He's only 31. Would have been very easy for the club to turn around and go, not ready or his results haven't been good enough. I'm sure Johnny Jackson won't like hearing this, by the way, because, again, he's had a much better <laughs> record than Eddie Howe. But hopefully he can follow in his footsteps. Anyway, he was given the job, kept them up that season, got promoted the following season, 
went to Burnley, which I don't think when we're talking about decisions, probably he feels was probably the best one when he looks back on it. But again, come back to Bournemouth and the rest is history, really. So I'd say well done to a board for backing a manager, a young manager with a bit of ambition and actually believing in probably them as people more than what they've done as a manager. So it, it can work out sometimes. Yeah, we'll be talking lots more about Eddie Howe next season, I'm sure. Uh, that will do us for today, though. Many thanks to Joby, to Robin and to producer Abby for knocking it all together. May lead to you, though, listener. Join us again on Monday when hopefully we'll have some football to talk about. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.